0: amen and when we're asking Jesus to really shine his light so that the whole world would see we're asking that he would shine through us that we would be the light of the world as Christ's life lived through us and so let's pray right now that that would continue and that we would the white hot flame of the Holy Spirit would just come upon us and that we would burn brightly for Jesus for his glory let's pray father God I just thank you for the fact that uh Jesus, you came into the world, this dark world, and you shone forth your light. And Lord, we know that light always wins over darkness. And Father, I pray that today, Lord, that your word and your light, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, Lord, that it would just, it would just be Burn brightly into our lives. And Lord, I pray you to speak through me in powerful ways. Lord, it would be all about your glory. It would be all about your praise and all about your fame. And Lord, you are a great God and we praise you and we, we give you all the praise that you were so worthy of. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, our last words are often remembered most, aren't they? Our last words are often remembered most. Let me ask you this question. If you could choose what your last words would be, what would they be? If you had that opportunity, what would your last words, what would you want them to be? You got it? Do you know what they are? Let me give you some... um, illustrations of some of the most famous last words, and see if some of you can maybe tell me who said these. The first one is, et tu, Brute? Come on, back to Shakespeare. You know, maybe I just took you back to a really scary place back in high school. But uh, what is it? It's Julius Caesar, right? How about this one? Oh, I'm not going to die, am I? He will not separate us. We have been so happy. Okay, all you English literature fans, it's Charlotte Bronte. Spoken to her husband of nine months. And Charlotte waited until she was 37 to get married. That was a lifetime back in that day. Okay? (laughs) They had terms for that, spinster, all those types of things. It wasn't like today where all the young people wait and delay to get married. And that's just a little encouragement, okay? You guys know how I feel about that. I think she was so distressed, Charlotte, over um, only being married for nine months. I think it's partly because she was married to a pastor, right? The Reverend Arthur McNichols. Is that right, Lori? Yeah, it's bliss to be married to a pastor, right? <laughs> okay, here's another saying How were the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? Take a guess. P.T. Barnum. P.T. Barnum. In eighteen ninety-one. He lived to age eighty-one, and apparently he looked at the receipts for the day's event, and those are the last words that he spoke. He died a few hours later. Then there's this phrase. I'm bored with it all. Can you guess who that is? One of the great statesmen of the twentieth century, Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill. He, uh, he spoke those words before slipping into a coma, and he died nine days later. Then I found this one interesting. Pardon me, sir, I did not do it on purpose. This is spoken by Queen Marie Antoinette after she accidentally stepped on the foot of her executioner as she went to the guillotine. Polite to the very end, Right? Don't you dare ask God to help me. That was spoken by actress Joan Crawford to her housekeeper who began to pray out loud at the moment of her death. Can you imagine that? Don't you dare ask God to help me. Here's an interesting one. I'm not the least afraid to die. Spoken in 1882 by Charles Darwin. I should have never switched from scotch to martinis. (laughs) Thought you wouldn't hear that in a Baptist church. Humphrey Brogart, who died of throat cancer. And then this last one. I am perplexed. Satan, get out. Spoken by a famous occultist by the name of Alistair Crowley. At the very end, he saw that following the ways of the kingdom of darkness, we're not just perplexing. We're something to be abandoned. See, our last words can tell a lot about us. What we thought was important, what we valued, what we're living our lives for. So what are you living your life for? Well, if you're living for Jesus Christ, then how much important is it to, to listen to Jesus' last words, and to his basic instructions before he left earth? See, Jesus is unique in so many ways. Not to say the least was his last words. Many times around Easter time, we, we focus a, a sermon series on to the last words of Christ. And we finish off with, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But I want to say today that those were not the last words of Jesus before he left earth. Because Jesus, in fact, rose from the grave and gave us some basic instructions before leaving earth. So let's start today with the Gospel of Matthew. And then over the next four weeks, in fact, my last four sermons with you, I'm going to help walk us through the last words of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 28, and I'll read it. My Bible's kind of falling apart. Anne Anscaville tried to tape it this morning, so uh, it's time to get a new Bible. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. If you don't know where the book of Matthew is, let's look in the table of contents. And then go to that page number, and then go to chapter 28. We're going to read the whole chapter. i want to get you to stand as I read God's word. I think that's so important. Just show respect for the king of kings and lord of lords. If you, if you can stand. Read along with me. It says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee. There you will see me. While the women were on the way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, You were to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And where they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and disciple all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Or literally, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end. End of the age May God add Blessing and honor To the reading of his word You may be seated So what are the last words of Jesus We find in this passage It's really simple today It's go 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 where? Go where? Well, the first thing we should do is we should go see Jesus. Are you convinced of the resurrection? One of the first questions we need to ask ourselves, are we truly convinced of Christ's resurrection? Why is that such an important question? The resurrection assures us not only of hope for the future, but help for the present, for those troubles that you experienced this week, for maybe troubles you experienced today. The resurrection brings help for that. The Apostle Paul explains in Romans 6, one of my favorite passages, that the resurrection of Christ means that our old selves were crucified with Christ and now we are made alive to God. The resurrection gives us power to choose not to sin and instead choose to follow God. Therefore, the resurrection is not just a doctrinal position, but a a dominant power in our lives. Otherwise, the resurrection is just a collection of facts. One of the things that you should notice in this passage in Matthew chapter 28 is that the soldiers understood the facts of the resurrection. They knew what was to be true. They knew that there was an earthquake. They knew, and it says they saw the angel. But they were unwilling To believe and let it become a part of who they really were, what was true about Jesus. I find it very ironic that the one who conquered death, who they were supposed to be guarding, who they couldn't ultimately guard, they feared death more from the hands of a governor, a Roman governor, than the one who had conquered death. Isn't that ironic? You see, the resurrection is a dividing line. This world and the devil will offer you more to deny the resurrection. I bet there was opportunities this week to deny Christ, to deny his power in your life. Are you convinced today, beloved, of Jesus rising from the grave? Have you spent time with Jesus? I notice that before Jesus gave his disciples the mission that would change the world, he first of all told them to go to the place where he told them to go, that mountain. Notice what it says in verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. Before we ever get to doing the task Of the Great Commission. We are to go and see Jesus. Have you spent time with Jesus this week? I know how busy life can get. I just know. We moved out of one house and moved into a new house this week. In fact, it's so bad this morning as I woke up in the new house in Cambridge that uh, I couldn't find my black shoes, I could only find one. So that's why I'm wearing brown So if you're a little distressed All of you Fashion conscious people um, I understand about busyness It was a crazy busy week But one of the messages That Jesus continued to pour into my life This week was "Have Have I gone to see Jesus? Have I spent time with Jesus? Have I gone to the place Where Jesus said I told you to go? Where is that place? Where's that quiet place that you've spent time with Jesus that he could minister to you this week? This is not to make you feel guilty, but a reminder to drop any everything else that is distracting you and spend time with Jesus. Could be alone, could be with a small group like, like Jesus' disciples. It could be in the midst of a crowd. But the simple message is go and see him. Go and see Jesus. The key to discipleship is disciplining yourself to spend time with the master. You have to spend time with the master if you're going to be an apprentice of Jesus. Get rid of everything else. For the disciples in this passage, you need to remember that it was during the Passover time. and, And the disciples would have had all of their family around. And yet... They took time to spend time with Jesus. You know how it is when during the holiday time? So easy that we can follow the routine and not spend time with Jesus. But the disciples put Jesus first. Will you do so? Will you do so during these holidays coming up? This coming weekend? You spend time with Jesus. Go and see Jesus. That's the first thing Jesus says. Before he ever says go, Disciple the nations is go see Jesus The second thing that Jesus says Is not just to come see me But go tell Jesus' family What you've seen and heard about Jesus It says in verse 10 Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee Where they will see me One of our our great obstacles To proclaiming the message of Jesus Is that we fear that we will be rejected The people who we've put the, the greatest investment in Our family and friends May reject our faith I know what it's like to invest in neighbors and family and friends, to spend years trying to live out the gospel message and finally being able to to tell them about Jesus. Just as we were moving out of our house here in Oshawa, I got some opportunities to to give my neighbors some Bibles and to, to talk to them about Jesus. I know what it's like. But I want to tell you that way before that, I had to practice on God's people. I had to tell God's people about what Jesus has done in my life. And that's why Jesus is saying, go and tell my brothers what you've seen and heard, that I'm alive. One of the great remedies that Jesus has given us to overcoming our fears about telling others in this world, those lost people, those people who don't know him, is to first of all, go tell the church. That he rose from the grave That he's been working in your life So who of Jesus' brothers and sisters Have you told about what he's done In your life I guarantee they'll be excited I don't know of anybody in this church Who'd be like uh, Please stop talking about Jesus I don't want to hear about the fact Of what he's done in your life We should be excited about what, what, How God is doing Powerful and mighty things in our midst So talk about What Jesus is doing in your life I challenge you, the first question you should ask when you leave this room is not, where are we going for, for lunch? What, what's, for, what's for lunch? That's what I usually try to think about. First question should be, what's Jesus been doing? What's Jesus been doing in your life? You can ask it in all sorts of different ways. What is God saying to you? What are you saying to God? You don't need to be afraid of one another, because ultimately your status has changed, hasn't it? You are now brothers and sisters of Jesus. Remember Jesus calls you brother. That's what he says, "Go and tell my brothers." This is the first time we find in the scriptures of Jesus calling his followers brothers. Why? Because it's now after the cross. The adoption process has been completed. We are now sons of glory. And it's not because of what we have done. Jesus calls them brothers even after they have abandoned him, as as Donald Hagner says. Think about that. All of these disciples, they had abandoned Jesus at the cross. They had left him. They were afraid. And yet Jesus still says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Maybe you've messed up this week. Maybe you've failed. Jesus wants to see you. Will you go? It's so important that we have the church to encourage one another of that message of grace. We are called Jesus' brothers despite our abandoning Jesus. And just like an adopted child who at first tests his or her new family to see if they really love them, we do that to our Heavenly Father. We do that to the church. We don't always treat one another with love. But I want to tell you today that our Father will always pass the test with grace. So let's stop testing God and and start testifying about Him. Reveal the fact that, that, that God is really the one that we will be with forever and ever. And let's proclaim that to God's forever family, starting with the people beside you. This will force you. This will force you to work out your problems with one another. To look out for one another, to care for one another, and ultimately to worship Jesus together. See, what I love about in this passage a couple of times, verse 8 so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Filled with joy. They're, they're afraid, yet they're filled with joy. Maybe that's how you describes you today. And then when we read later on in verse 17. When the disciples finally saw Jesus, Jesus fulfilled that promise of, of meeting them there at that mountain, they worshipped him. They worshipped him, but some doubted. Seeing Jesus should cause you to worship him. Because true disciples become worshipers of Jesus. This is why I'm so into discipleship. That's why I think it's the first priority of our lives. Because all the other things of worship and fellowship giving and reading your Bibles, all those other things, if you disciple, all those things will come true. If you become a true disciple of Jesus, you'll become a true worshiper of Jesus. So let me ask you a pressing question. Are you worshiping? Are you worshiping Jesus or are you doubting Jesus today? Well, I have good news for both of you, either whether you're worshiping or whether you're doubting Jesus. Either way, you'll start to disciple the nations I think it's very interesting in verse 17 that when Jesus saw that they were worshiping him, but some were doubted, Jesus still goes on in verse 18, and it says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We are to start discipling the nations by baptizing and teaching them and observing everything that Jesus commanded. Now, why would Jesus give this commission to even people who were doubting in him, that fully didn't, weren't convinced of everything in his life that he said was going to be true, that he had risen from the grave? It's really simple. When we start to obey Christ, he shows himself more powerfully. So this is a message for everyone in this room. Maybe some of you have some doubts today about things going forward. Go disciple the nations. Go disciple the nations. When you do, Jesus will show himself more powerful. Besides, Jesus is the one who saves people. That word make, that everyone you've memorized probably, therefore go and make disciples, it's not actually in the original text. It just says go disciple the nations. We are, in a sense, to disciple those that Jesus has already called. Jesus alone is the creator. Jesus alone is the savior. In other words, the great commission is guaranteed by Christ's authority, by his salvation that he alone gives, and by his presence. So one of the remedies for some of your questions about Jesus is to tell people what you already know about Jesus. You've told the church, now you're supposed to go tell the lost. I found this to be true in my life. I've had lots of questions in my life throughout the years, and just maybe I've had a few doubts, and I don't get that, I don't understand this. What I need to do is I need to continue on in discipling the nations, to proclaiming His truth. And then guess what happens? Either my question becomes irrelevant, or it gets answered through the whole discipleship process. Nothing forced me to study God's Word more as a young Bible student than to to have to answer people's questions. I knew that I could only answer so many, well, I'm sorry, I don't know about that, before they're like, okay, I'm moving on to somebody who does. This is why, brothers and sisters, we are enrolled in the apprenticeship program of Jesus. We, are, as disciples, are literally students of Jesus. However, don't think of school being like studying for your degree in the Jesus school so that at the end you get this degree. You, you've amassed this a mammoth amount of information about Jesus. No, it's way more than that. What people are looking for what people really want is somebody who's been with Jesus, who's gone to see Jesus, who knows him intimately, not just about him, and are authorized to speak for him because they've been baptized in his name and could teach them Everything that Jesus has commanded. Does that describe you? Are you observing Jesus' commands? Do you know the commands of Christ? A few years back, I thought, I don't know if I know all the commands of Christ. So I started making a list and I compiled all of the commands of Christ. Here it is, right here. Started making a list of all the commands, all the prohibitions. All the imperatives, all the commands of Christ. There's a lot of them. Let me ask this of you. In fact, uh, somebody, a scholar, or somebody who has actually uh, compiled all of those into 49, this is the whole list can summarize them this. So I'm just going to read the list, and maybe there's one that God wants to impress upon your heart that you need to, to teach, you need to, to start observing. So here they are. 49 general commands of Christ. 49 ways to love God and others. Have you repented? Matthew 4:17. Have you followed me, Jesus says, in Matthew 4:19. Have you rejoiced? Matthew 5:12. Have you let your light shine, Matthew 5, 16? We were saying about that earlier. Have you honored God's law? Matthew 5, 17 through 18. Have you been reconciled? Matthew 5, 24 through 25. Pastor Rick just talked about that last week. Do not commit adultery, Jesus says, quoting from the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 through 30. You need to exercise self-control. Keep your word, Matthew 5, verse 37. Go the second mile, Matthew 5, 38 through 42. I'm paraphrasing. You need to defer to others, give to others. Love your enemies, Matthew 5, 44. Be perfect, Matthew 5, 48. What? That's what Jesus says. Now he's not saying you need to adopt some kind of perfectionism, but he's saying continue to grow in that perfectness. That He has established by Christ, justified, and has made us look perfect before God the Father, fully, legally. Practice secret disciplines when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Do so in secret. Matthew six one through eighteen. Lay up treasures on earth. Oh, in heaven, yes. Matthew six nineteen through twenty one. Seek God's kingdom. Matthew six thirty three. Judge not lest you too be judged. Matthew 7, 1. Matthew 7, 6. Do not cast pearls before spine. Ask, seek, and knock. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Continue to ask the Lord, pray to him. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Matthew 7, verse 12. That was an important one for us as we cleaned up our house, our old house, to this week. Choose the narrow way. Matthew seven thirteen through 14. Beware of false prophets, Matthew seven, fifteen. Pray for laborers, Matthew nine, thirty eight. Be wise as serpents, Matthew ten, sixteen. Fear God, not man, Matthew ten, twenty six. Hear God's voice, Matthew eleven, fifteen. Take my yoke upon you, for it is easy as it's light, Jesus says, Matthew eleven, twenty nine. Honor your parents, Matthew fifteen, verse four. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, that legalism that this comes in and can destroy. Matthew 16, verse 6. Deny yourself, Luke 9, 23. Despise not little ones, Matthew 18, 10. Go to the offenders, people who have offended you, have sinned against you, Matthew eighteen fifteen. Beware of covetousness, Luke 12, 15. Be content in things. Forgive offenders. Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Honor marriage, Matthew 19, verse 6. Be a servant, Matthew 20, verses 26 through 28. Be a house of prayer, Matthew 21 through 13. Ask in faith, Matthew 21, 21 through 22. Bring in the poor, Luke 4, 12 through 14. Render to Caesar, pay your taxes, Matthew 22, 19 through 21. Love the Lord, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 through 38. Love your neighbor, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. Await my return, Jesus says, Matthew 24, 42 through 44. Take, eat, and drink. In other words, remember the Lord's Supper, Matthew 26, 26 through 27. Be born again. It's a command to be saved. I command you who do not know Jesus Christ today to be saved today. I command you in the name of Jesus to be saved. Keep my commandments, Jesus says, John fourteen, fifteen. Watch and pray, Matthew twenty six, forty-one. Feed my sheep, John twenty one, fifteen through sixteen. Baptize my disciples, Matthew twenty eight, nineteen. Receive God's power, Luke twenty-four, forty nine, and make disciples, Matthew twenty eight through twenty. What was the Holy Spirit saying to you? I know he was saying one of those to you today. It's so important that we, we follow Jesus' commands, what, what he has told us to do. The response always, when we, when we decide to follow Jesus, is to get baptized and then to follow his instructions. We need his help in that. I saw uh, an illustration of that this week as I walked through the door of my home. And I came home, and the kids all greeted me with unusual excitement. Some of them had oven mitts on. And immediately told me that mommy was exhausted And laying down And that they were cooking supper for us For the very first time So I asked what were they making And they said a frozen pizza Now some of them were rather timid about opening the oven door Because we forbid them You know don't go by the oven door right But but my one son was brave And donning the oven pizza He put the pizza in the oven As I'm watching him I noticed that the cardboard underneath the pizza was still there. It was a reminder that though my kids were learning, or the biblical word, if we could say they're being discipled and cooking, they still needed my presence and my instruction. And they also needed somebody to make the pizza for them. That's what Jesus is doing in our lives. Jesus is the one who saves people. And Jesus promises that he will be with us, his presence. And Jesus promises that he will give us his instructions. We need to work together, folks. We need Jesus' presence and his instructions, and it's a promise. It takes takes really an observation of Christ and an observation of each other. So, lastly, I asked this question Are you spending time as brothers and sisters in Christ, obeying the commands of Christ, so that others can observe you? That's what Jesus is commanding you when he says that we are to teach others to observe all that Jesus has commanded. That's from the New American Standard. Now, one thing I know about observation, okay? Observation really works best when you get really close, when you can see people up close. When you observe them. I'm not going to be able to know and see if Jordan is living out the commands of Christ unless I get really close to him and I spend time with him. And so Jesus is calling us to do that. Jesus is calling us to live out the commands of Christ, to observe them in one another, and then so that others can observe it in us as a group. So you must be willing to share your life with others. Get in groups of three. Get in groups of twelve or less. Get in groups of hundreds or thousands. But let others see Jesus in you. Jesus has given his all so that you could have all. All authority. All nations. And all things he has taught us. In some, have you spent time with Jesus? Go do this this afternoon. Do it each day have you spent time with the resurrected Jesus? And who are you discipling? God has brought the nations to you. I got to say, folks, that my heart aches. Every time I drive around this community, and I see the many, many houses in our region being built, and wonder who is going to disciple them. You know what the answer is? You are, you are, you are. God has answered that prayer. The nations have come to Canada. We've been charged to go and disciple the nations.
1: But I want to say today that you won't
0: go. You won't go and disciple the nations. How do I know that? Because far too long in my own life, I haven't gone to the nations. I haven't discipled. Tithes this may be a fear of failing. At the mission, we think that we're, we're going to fail. Or maybe it's being too, f- too focused on our own mission of power and prestige and possessions. The only way you will adopt Jesus' mission is if you remember that Jesus himself went to another mountain that God showed him. He left heaven with all the power, prestige, and possessions. And went to the Mount of Olives to spend time with God. To wrestle with his will until it became submissive to God the Father. Jesus' submission led to his death. And this death allowed him to become the first to truly go and disciple the nations. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. So, Will you just go across the street? Will you just go across the room and disciple the nations? Disciple the nations because Jesus discipled you.